What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Home Field Apparel. I am Brett Hudson, and I am joined, as always, on the football edition of the Bama Beat Podcast by Clint Lamb. Clint, what's going on? Not much, brother. Just, uh, man, trying to... Uh, it, I guess with all the weather and stuff, it's it's really kind of logged things up a little bit. I feel like it's it kind of feels like it's Wednesday, but then it also kind of feels like it's Monday for some reason. And even though like I've been working, like it's not one of those situations where because I can't go anywhere, I can't work. Like I do most of my work from home anyways. I'm sure you can relate. So it's not like I haven't been working, but it just feels like the fact that the rest of the world stopped there for a day or so, maybe, you know, two days or whatever. Um, it's kind of thrown my schedule off a little bit. Yeah, it's it's different for for sure. Uh, and before we continue, I think I speak for for Clint and and say we want to send our our thoughts to everybody in Texas dealing with power outages for for days at a time. And I, I've got some some people I know out there in Texas who are dealing with the rolling outages where they only have power in in short bursts, and and they felt like. Um, I mean, they, they thought they were living pretty good to get the, uh, to get the temperature in their house up to 61. That's where, that's where they were at. Their, their house was just freezing because it's in the single digit temperatures and they have no power to combat it. So it's a, it's a whole deal out there. And a lot of people have it a lot worse than, than that. So thoughts and, and prayers, if that's, if you're the praying type to the, the people and, the state of Texas dealing with what seems to be some of the worst of this uh, strange winter weather in the southern part of the United States. So, Clint, I think this might be my favorite time of the college football offseason, like this kind of mid-February to mid-March type range, because from the time the season ends in early January until about now, you're like you're living in the center of a tornado, right? Like coaches are leaving, coaches are hiring other coaches from other places. People are transferring. Uh, people are declaring for the draft and not declaring for the draft. And, and, and in some cases, people are entering the transfer portal and already finding their new destination in a pretty short period of time. You're you're tracking guys who are enrolling early with the school they signed with back in December. Uh, and, and then recruiting happens on February signing day, which is a little bit watered down now, but it still it still happens. And then there's another shift of coaching positions after that, because people like to to make their their coaching change uh, decisions after all the recruits are on board, because we all know who has the power here, whether that's right or wrong. We all know who has the power here. And there's just so much going on, like you're you're barely keeping your head above water until about now when you have time to sit back and, and really kind of take in everything that happened, reflect and analyze for this probably three or four week period until spring ball uh, ramps up and you can put whatever amount of attention into that you want to. But from, from like a news perspective in, in the era of the transfer portal, you often see guys enter the transfer portal during or after spring practice. So you're kind of getting another, uh, news cycle from a player perspective after that before the uh leading into the draft as well which is another um ball of wax in and of itself so this is this is one of my favorite times of the college football offseason because you get to really sit down marinate and analyze what has happened kind of think about things on a deeper level and that's what we're going to do today with Alabama's coaching staff Bama's had five assistant coaches leave since it won the 2020 national championship, it has officially replaced four of them and reportedly replaced the the fifth. That one should come official. Uh, you would think relatively soon uh, based on our, on our luck, it'll probably become official in between the time of recording and releasing this podcast. Cause that's the, that's the joy of, of the on-demand audio medium. So we're going to break that down a bunch of different ways, but before we do that, I got to let y'all know I am rocking this Maryland home field apparel hoodie right now. It is Testudo is the name of the the turtle uh, mascot beetle they have. And it is a retro version of Testudo 
like leaning on top of a block M with the word Maryland underneath it. You can find it, a bunch of other Maryland apparel, Alabama apparel, uh, over a dozen pieces of Bama apparel, and stuff from over a hundred different schools on homefieldapparel.com. It is collegiately licensed, unique logos you haven't seen anywhere else on the most comfortable hoodies, t-shirts, and sweatshirts that you will own. As I said, there's over a dozen pieces of Alabama apparel on home field apparel, including an Alabama basketball shirt that was recently released, plus three pieces of apparel from the most recent football national championship. All of that is on homefieldapparel.com. Free shipping on orders of $70 or more. You can use the promo code BAMABEAT to get 20% off your first purchase of home field apparel. So the headliner here has to be offensive coordinator for, for Bama, replacing an offensive play caller once again. Steve Sarkeesian exited stage left to take the head coaching job at 40 Acres at Texas. He's been replaced by Bill O'Brien, someone who has made most of his bones at the NFL level, the, the obvious exception to that, is his two years as Penn State's head coach. And, and Clint, what did you think when you saw that hire? And then has your opinion of it changed or or morphed, I guess, in the weeks since? It's interesting that you say that or you ask it in that way because for me, um, from a recruiting standpoint, it made plenty of sense. Uh, and, and I've kind of said this before, and I'll say it again. I think it helps Alabama that you have a couple of former NFL coaches now roaming your sidelines um, simply because from a recruiting standpoint, if you're a high school kid um, and you're wondering what it takes to get into the NFL, there's no better person to learn from not only Nick Saban, who's been an NFL coach, he understands what it takes and what's involved in that process, but now you have two other guys on the staff um, who were NFL head coaches last season who can now you know, really help as far as from a networking perspective, from the perspective of understanding what it takes. If you're an offensive lineman, uh, if you're J.C. Latham, if you're Tommy Brockermeyer, James Brockermeyer, Terrence Ferguson, I mean, all of these guys are now going to be uh, you know, getting taught every day by Doug Marone, who understands what it takes to make it into the NFL as an offensive lineman and what he looked for as far as offensive linemen are concerned, whether it be from a personality standpoint, from a physical standpoint. You know, teams are going to have different preferences on some of that stuff, but just having that, you know, ability, um, I think is absolutely huge. As far as Bill O'Brien is concerned, I think he's a, a, a good offensive minded guy. Uh, what's kind of made and here's the problem i i've put out two articles recently one looking into the just the it, it was pr pretty easy stuff it wasn't overly difficult it wasn't deep diving into the numbers and really analyzing just going through on a surface level and taking all the quarterbacks that bill o'brien has had as far as his starting quarterbacks um and the running backs and just you know putting their stats out there and and, and a is interesting you know you quickly realize guys like brian hoyer Ron Fitzpatrick, uh, Christian Hackenberg back there at uh, Penn State, Matt McGloin, if you're familiar with him, dear, at Penn State, played a couple of years in the NFL for the Raiders and some other teams. But he was uh, the two quarterbacks was was Matt McGloin and Christian Hackenberg at Penn State in 2012 and 2013, and then you got you know Ryan Fitzpatrick and and Brian Hoyer and Deshaun Watson of course for the, for a majority of those, but Brock Osweiler, and so you know then you start looking at the running backs and you've had you know David Johnson he was only his coach for four games this past season, but before that you had Carlos Hyde being a thousand yard running back there for the Texans, you had Lamar Miller for several seasons, you had Alfred Blue of all people, the former LSU running back who was the, the lead back there in Houston for one season, didn't have that great of a rushing offense uh, that season, as you know you could probably guess. But then you know going all the way back to, to the Penn State guys, it's just it's been interesting to look at the numbers and I can see, you know, as I was sharing this article, it's more so just a, an informative, hey, if you just want a surface level know who Bill O'Brien has been coaching, you know, to you know, and I'm going to continue to do it with the receivers will be next and the tight ends and stuff. But just so you have an idea of some of the guys that Bill O'Brien has coached in recent years, um, if you go and look at the list, it doesn't look that impressive. If you look at the numbers, 
not overly impressive. Deshaun Watson, obviously being a transcendent talent that he is, he's had some success, but, um, and there's been other guys who have been, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick had pretty good statistics. Uh, Brian Hoyer wasn't terrible. Their touchdown to interception ratio wasn't that bad. Um, but then you see a lot of guys averaging, you know, 3.8 yards per carry being the top running back uh, on Houston's roster. And that kind of might have some people worried. You got to understand the level of talent that he's going to be working with there at Alabama is way beyond anything that he saw at Penn State any, and anything he saw with the Houston Texans. The, the NFL is different because talent is a lot more balanced. But on top of that, you know, it's a good thing that Bill O'Brien is not the, uh, you know, a general manager of Alabama's roster. If that was the case, I'd be extremely worried because he's proven that he can't really uh, build a roster. But if you give him talent, you know, he was there. Uh, he was the quarterback coach for Tom Brady for a couple of years. He was the offensive coordinator in 2011 before he took the job at Penn State as the head coach. Um, so, you know, he's been around Tom Brady a lot. You can look look back at that and say, okay, he's been around a good quarterback. He understands what he's looking for. And then, he, of course, Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much of that development or that success that he had in Houston could be attributed to Bill O'Brien, but he at least got to acknowledge that he's had a couple of really, really good quarterbacks throughout his career, whether it be as a play caller or as a head coach. So, um, I guess the point that I'm making is, is as I was working through these articles, I, I quickly started to realize, man, I'm going to share this information, and it's probably going to be a letdown for a lot of Alabama fans. They're going to look at this and think, oh, this is terrible. Um, but you just got to understand, I mean, Steve Sarkeesian was not really considered a guy who had had a lot of success going up to the Atlanta Falcons and being a, a play caller, and he had Matt Ryan and Julio Jones and all this talent that people talked about, and yet he still didn't have – the kind of success that a lot of people feel like he should. He gets to Alabama, and it's the same reason I advocated for him when he came down. Was It's very hard to fill in Tuscaloosa with the amount of talent that they bring in at virtually every position uh, on the offense. I mean, trying to imagine a scenario where he doesn't end up being at least a, a good offensive coordinator is very tough to imagine, and it's very possible that just um, his you know history and, and, and the connections that he has – he ends up being fantastic, kind of rebuilding the way that he's viewed as far as being a potential coach and then moves on to somewhere else here in a couple of years. But then also, uh, you know, if you're wondering why this hire happened, there's also the Bill Belichick, Nick Saban dynamic. You know, with, with Brian DeBall, that was one thing uh, Bill Belichick advocated for him with Nick and, and was able to get that done. And then to turn around and um, kind of do the same thing with Bill O'Brien. You know, he was there with, with Bill Belichick in New England for, I think, five or six seasons total. And so he's very familiar with what it takes to succeed under a coach that is kind of has the mindset of a, a, a Belichick or an, a Saban. And so I think that he's actually going to do extremely well. And while some fans might look at his success or lack thereof in Houston and be concerned, if I was them, I would not be concerned at all. I made a similar point on, on Twitter at some point, like the, the way that the two sports are organized and and, how, and what they prioritize in terms of what, what they believe leads to on-field success at the different levels, like college football and the NFL are almost different sports. At, at this point and, and, and I mean you pay pretty close attention to, to the NFL for personal reasons but also for for other gigs w would you agree with that assertion oh absolutely yeah I, I mean and just very quickly I mean and and I think just having the dynamic of you being a coach saying okay this is we're going to pick our players like we're going to pick and choose who we want and you got contracts involved guys who can uh, who are supposed to have who you feel like could contribute to your team and be a, a solid piece in the NFL if their contract is now exceeding what they're giving your your franchise then in a lot of situations you'll cut that guy and your team gets worse but it was more so of managing a salary cap in college football especially if you're Alabama it's not a matter of you going and, and necessarily picking, uh, you know, having to, to choose based off of who's available, you kind of get your pick of the litter. It's like having, uh, you know, almost every first round pick if you wanted or a lot of first round picks. And now you just got to go figure out who it is that you want to sp specifically target. So it's two very different games. Right. So <clears throat> the the very obvious comp when when you're trying to project what 
Bill O'Brien could do at Alabama is you mentioned him earlier, Brian Dable, because because he fits a very similar mold that uh, that Bill O'Brien fits in, in coming to, to Alabama. When, when Brian Dable was hired as Bama's offensive coordinator for the 2017 season, he had not coached in the college game in near in 18 years since he was a graduate assistant at Michigan State in 1999. Bill O'Brien um, is a, a little different in that he he had the more prominent position of being Penn State's head coach, but that is the only that is the only college experience Bill O'Brien has since he was Duke's offensive coordinator in 2006. So you're uh, pretty similar in that they're they're primarily NFL guys to to brand them that way, and they're coming to the college game with what you would assume is a different outlook on things and a different uh, approach to to the offensive styling. Now, what made Brian Dable work was he came to the college game genuinely interested in learning the college teams and, and understanding some of the offensive innovation that is happening on the college level that the NFL is trying to replicate in a lot of things that, that it does. And Brian Dable had a very obvious colleague or, or kind of partner in crime for that, which was Mike Loxley, who was, I, I believe the co-offensive coordinator for Dable's one year in Tuscaloosa before uh, being elevated to the primary offensive coordinator job in the following season. If that is Bill O'Brien's intent, I don't know who that partner is going to be. I thought it would have been Charles Huff, who is kind of a, a graduate of the Joe Moorhead RPO Academy team. But uh, obviously, Charles Huff is not on staff anymore. He's now the, the head coach at, at Marshall. I don't know Holman Wiggins like that. I don't know if if Holman Wiggins is is someone who – kind of thinks on a level beyond just the wide receiver position. And he's someone who could kind of be that, that partner of Bill O'Brien's to, to introduce him to the modern offensive scheme at the collegiate level. Or if they're going to find an analyst who could do that for them, maybe a Kevin Sumlin, maybe a Tom Herman. Um, there are probably some other examples of, of college coaches on the market who, who may be interested in an analyst position in Alabama that could, uh, help Bill O'Brien in, in that regard. So if if that is Bill O'Brien's motivation, if he's coming to Tuscaloosa to learn something about the college game and and kind of adjust his scheme accordingly based on the innovation that's happening here, I don't know who's going to be that partner in crime for him. Uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I just don't know who it is. And it's entirely possible that it's Holman Wiggins or, or one of the the new guys that Bama hired, I just I just don't know those guys very well. So um, I, I can't say for sure like I could have with, with Charles Huff before he became Marshall's head coach. Having said all that, based on what I've been told from some of his former players at, at Penn State, I, I don't think that that's going to be the case. I, I, again, this was a few weeks ago. I, I talked to a couple of his former players at, at Penn State and, and wrote up a story on that. And from, from what they told me, Bill O'Brien is the model of fit your scheme to what you have rather than find the players to fit your scheme, um, which, I mean, in the, in, if he were to stay at Alabama for, for six or seven years, then, then yeah, he would eventually have to find the players to, to do what he wants to do. But right now, in a, in a short term, this is the roster. It, it's on you to, to make the most of it. And he he seems like someone who kind of takes that approach in, in a lot of things that he does, or at least in the things that he did at, at Penn State. He came to Penn State with a very wide-reaching um, offensive playbook and a scheme, and then he only implemented the things that he thought best benefited the the roster he had on hand. The question there is, how much of that playbook involves some of the more modern offensive schemes that to get more into the nitty gritty that Bryce Young is experienced in how many, how much of Bill O'Brien's scheme is going to be on those like second level RPOs that, that get a little complicated and, and, and force defenses to do something different with motions or, or formations or, or whatever that make RPOs, which are already almost impossible to defend actually 
impossible to defend. How much of that does Bill O'Brien have in his scheme? I don't know. And we're not going to have the answer to that until we've seen him coach a couple of seasons at Bama. But that's the thing with with me. Uh, after having those conversations with people from his Penn State teams and and his time with the Patriots, if he's still thinking that way, which you would think he is considering Saban just hired him, that, that leads me to believe that he's someone who's going to fit his offense to the personnel that he has. The question is, does his offense, will his offensive scheme incorporate some of those RPOs and other modern offensive innovations happening at the college level to best utilize the talent he has to best utilize Bryce Young and Jace McClellan and the other running backs and some of these young wide receivers that are likely to see an increase in, in playing time. Does he have those elements in his offense to to take advantage of 100% of those skill sets? Yeah, that's the, the million-dollar question. Um, and what's interesting is, first of all – it's tough to know how good or bad a play caller is um, like Bill O'Brien if he doesn't have what he needs to effectively run his offense. And it doesn't matter what your scheme is offensively or what it is that you're trying to achieve, at least for the most part, if you don't have a good offensive line. With the Houston Texans, that's something that they really tried to put an emphasis on. You know, They traded for Laramie Tunsil. They drafted Max Sharping. In the second round, they drafted uh, the, the Alabama State offensive lineman. It'll come to me here in just a second, but they used a first-round pick on him. Um, you know, Nick Martin out of Notre Dame was, uh, yeah, I think, a third-round pick. So, constantly trying to improve uh, that offensive line, it just it never came together like it needed to, and that really hinders everything else. Deshaun Watson wasn't able to. I mean, the fact that he continued to play at such a high level. I think speaks to to his ability, but he was on the run all the time, kind of like what we saw from Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Similar situation, but it was a week in, week out basis, or it has been for for Deshaun. And now we'll have to see if that continues uh, moving forward for him. But at Alabama, I understand they're losing, you know, Alex Leatherwood, Landon Dickerson, Deontay Brown, but they still are going to have one of the most talented and deep offensive lines in the entire country. One is especially once it starts to gel, whoever ends up being the starters and they start working in unison and things like that. That's going to be an element to Bill O'Brien's offense is going to allow him to have the luxury to do things and, and have more of what he wants his playbook to be at his disposal uh, because he has the time for things to develop downfield and to, you know, get the to have whoever's playing quarterback, which more than likely will be Bryce Young give him the time that he needs to execute whatever it is that Bill O'Brien wants him to execute. I think that's going to be very helpful. Um, you know, it's kind of a similar issue to what uh, Steve Sarkeesian was dealing with there in Atlanta, all the skill positions in the world, uh, you know, and, and having Matt Ryan at quarterback, a very effective, good NFL quarterback. Uh, but just, you got to think from not having the offensive line they needed, that limits what you're able to do. And I agree with you that I think that it's going to be, um, you know, interesting to see how he kind of adjusts to you know, going to the college game. I know for a fact that, you know, philosophically, there's been some things that he's wanted to bring to the table already that according to people like Cole Kublik, I want to give credit where it's due. He's the one that's brought this up. Um has, has mentioned that that's kind of been shot down, uh, that, you know, Nick Saban wants to continue to move the offense in the direction that has been going under Lane Kiffin and under Brian uh, Dable and under Mike Loxley and most recently Steve Sarkeesian. He's really liked the transition of the offense and he wants to keep it that way. So some, maybe some of the principles and, and schemes and things that, that Bill O'Brien maybe has, has thought about bouncing around and trying – Nick Saban really hadn't been on board with that from what Cole Kublik is reporting, at least early on. Now, let's see what happens in the spring. But it's just it's a different type uh, of, of offense. And I'll be curious to see how he ends up building with some of the pieces that he's got. Because like I said, he's going to have the offensive line that he needs. He's going to have you know a very talented quarterback. 
you got to think from a a um, skill set standpoint. He, I, Bryce Young is not nearly as big as Deshaun Watson, and I don't think he's quite as dynamic with his legs. He's very mobile, definitely considered a dual threat quarterback. Don't get me wrong, but he's you know I feel like when Deshaun Watson escapes the pocket and decides to use his legs, he's one of the more dynamic quarterbacks in in all of football, not just college or the NFL. And so having that um, certainly helps, but. You continue to have a guy who can make all the throws, um, you know, has a great head on his shoulder. Won't there, I don't think there's going to be anything that you throw at Bryce Young that he's not going to be able to grasp mentally. Uh, so you're not going to have to limit your playbook based off of that. And uh, you have the ability to still use those legs to your advantage and make all the throws that you would you know, need him to uh, make in order to be successful. So. I think he's going to be fine, and then you look at, at the the running back position and and what has happened in Bill O'Brien's offense, and you you know, like I said, you got guys like Lamar Miller. It really feels like that this past season, and I think I guess it would be 2019, the Houston Texans had Carlos Hyde as their feature main back. Now they had Duke Johnson as kind of a change of pace guy, uh, the receiving back, um, but you know Bill O'Brien I think wants that complete guy. And Carlos Hyde, who was their 1,000-yard rusher in 2019, he is not considered a great receiving back. He's more of a, a, a one-dimensional runner type. And he had success with Carlos Hyde by doing that because, yet again, he decided to go with the thunder and lightning approach and utilize two guys, and, and he fit the offense to his, his players. But he wants to be a lot more dynamic, which I feel like is a big reason why, when he was willing to trade DeAndre Hopkins, which was a terrible move, by the way, he really wanted and coveted getting back David Johnson because David Johnson, the running back, great runner, but also one of the elite receiving backs in the NFL. And that is something, you know, you go back to um, Bill O'Brien's first season with the Houston Texans when he had Arian Foster, the same kind of guy, elite receiving back, had a ton of success. I wouldn't say a ton, but he had, you know, close to 40 receptions in Bill O'Brien's offense. 327 yards and five touchdowns just receiving and then was also you know rushed for almost 1250 yards and eight scores on the ground as well averaging close to five yards per carry but that's I think you know whether it be a Jason McClellan whether it be a Roydell Williams whether it be a Brian Robinson Jr. you know anybody that I think is going to be out there if you can be that complete back and and not only be able to you know run the football well you have to be able to pass protect but then also just being that elite receiver out of the backfield I would have loved to have seen Najee Harris in, in Bill O'Brien's offense but of course he's going on to the NFL and so now it's kind of trying to find that next guy who can be you know an impact player and that way you're not kind of tipping your hand uh you know based off of the personnel that you have out there and, and what the opposing defense will expect you to do so yeah, I think it's going to be fun and interesting to see how this dynamic, not only between Bill O'Brien and Nick Saban, kind of develops over the course of the next few months, but also uh, how much is Bill O'Brien willing to accept where the college game is heading and how much different – now, granted, the NFL is kind of starting to catch up a little bit as well, but um, it's, it's still a lot different on the college level. Last thing on this, and, and we'll move on to the other assistants. You, you said something about – uh, throwing everything at Bryce Young, you won't be able to overwhelm him mentally. Bama fans better hope you're right, because that's that's really important. That's something that I learned from talking to those former Penn State players. And again, Tide Sports subscribers can can find that story on the website. He he is one. This is where his NFL background shines through more than most other aspects of his offense. He is one to give his quarterbacks the keys to the offense. And, and he has a long track record of doing that, even in the college game at Penn State with Christian Hackenberg, right? Like Christian Hackenberg came into Penn State as a true freshman, started immediately, and, and Bill O'Brien didn't care. O'Brien installed the offense with him over his spring and, and fall at, at Penn State. And then when Hackenberg was awarded the starting job, he just gave Hackenberg the keys and allowed him to make some checks at the line and make some of those calls and, and, and things like that that, frankly, most college coaches would not allow a quarterback to do because they kind of run check with me, meerkat kind of stuff. And Bill O'Brien isn't that way. Bill O'Brien is going to install his offense. He's going to groom his quarterback, and he's going to let the quarterback make some of those decisions out there. So uh, your point about – 
Bryce being uh, an intelligent person, which is true, and uh, kind of savvy football, high, high football IQ, all those uh, cliches you want to use, it, it better be right. Because because he is going assuming he starts, he's going to have the keys to, to this offense, good, bad or indifferent. He's going to have the keys to this offense or we expect him to. He's going to have the keys to this offense. And um, a, a lot of it lies on on him, not only with his legs and with his arm, but with with his brain and in this exact offensive styling. As everyone knows now, Bill O'Brien is not the only former NFL head coach to be joining Alabama's offensive staff in this offseason. He is joined by new offensive line coach Doug Marone, most recently the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars from 2017 through 2020, also the head coach of the Bills from 2013 to 2014. Um, He has four seasons of collegiate experience since 2002, they came as Syracuse's head coach. He is a Syracuse alum, so Mama called on that one. But the rest of his time since then has been in the NFL, offensive line coach and coordinator jobs for the Jets, Saints, and Jaguars around head coaching jobs with the Bills and the Jags. Uh, I think you kind of hit on it in the beginning of, of <clears throat> the episode where – you're you're enticed by these NFL guys by what they can pitch to recruits and, and what they can sell to recruits and their young players and, and they can say, look, you you if you come to Alabama, you got NFL dreams. Like that's that's the level that Bama recruits at now. If you are good enough to draw Alabama's t- attention, you are probably good enough that you think you can make it in the NFL. Here are two dudes on our offensive staff currently uh, currently are our subject of focus, Doug Marone, who have been there, who have spent a lot of time there, know what it takes, know how to get you there. They're valuable resources. Use them. So you would think they're attractive on the recruiting trail in terms of guys who want to get close to them and uh, better understand how they look at the game and, and how they teach it to, in theory, increase their chances of sticking in the NFL, but also um, get – just be taught by them to, to be taught in an NFL way to, to help prepare them in, in that way too. So that's where this, this hire is most enticing. Completely agree. And, and if you're Alabama fans out there, um, a, it's the fact that you now have a former NFL head coach and former college head coach, coaching your offensive line, you know, being a position coach. Um, and, and the reason that he was considered and kind of climbed the rankings like he did and became a coach or a, a head coach is because of his success as an offensive line coach. He's had plenty of it throughout his career. And you got to think where he left that Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line compared to where he found it. Um, uh, is is I think a, a solid testament to his abilities because when he first got to Jacksonville, it was one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, and it's still you know from a um, I wouldn't say that it, it's it was one of the best in the league, but it has certainly improved. Um, the, Cam Robinson, the former Alabama offensive tackle, he was a second round pick. Um, you know, Jawan Taylor, a former Florida offensive tackle. He got drafted in the second round a couple of years ago. Uh, Brandon Linder, the, the center from, from Miami, Andrew Norwell was a big ticket free agent, um, that came over from the Carolina Panthers and he's, he did a pretty serviceable job there at left guard. You had AJ can out of South Carolina. So the, first of all, um, several former sec offensive linemen on that Jacksonville Jaguars, group and then also just the the way that it improved in my opinion kind of going back and watching it wasn't worlds better like it wasn't went from being one of the worst to one of the absolute best but considering you're Jackson when you're a small market team and you have a very hard time you know accumulating big ticket free agents uh I thought that they did a very good job of building that and I think it's at least heading in the right direction and it's also one of the big reasons one of the many reasons why I think Urban Meyer was willing to take that job you got the potential for a franchise quarterback you got multiple first round picks you got plenty of cap space but the foundational pieces there whether it be a receiver but you know offensive line it's not like you you're going in there and you have to you are are concerned about Trevor Lawrence running for his life 
from pretty much the first snap. I still think there's some work to be done on that offensive line. I know that Cam Robinson is a free agent, but it's it's you've got the foundational pieces that you need to where you don't have to do a ton with it, and you can get a, a good enough offensive line to keep your new franchise guy protected. And I think that was pretty important to Urban Meyer and, and some of those other coaches that have joined him in Jacksonville. So got to give Doug Marone a lot of credit for that. Um, and he's going to be working with more talent, collective talent than he's ever worked with in his entire life. I mean, you just look at this 2021 group that we've already talked about two five-star tackles, the top two tackles in the country, the the number two guard in the country, the number one center. You also got Jaden Roberts there, you know, being a top 15 guard, four-star guy. Um, and that's just in this group right now. That doesn't include all these other guys, you know, the Evan Nils, the Chris Owens, the, the, the Emil Ikeors, um, the, the Tommy Browns, the, the Pierce quicks, the Amari kites. I mean, it's just, they are absolutely loaded with talent and, and that of course losing the, the experience factors that they've lost with Alex Leatherwood starting so many games and, and Landon Dickerson and all the, the time that he spent, whether it be at Florida state or Alabama, Deontay Brown got plenty of run during his time. It's not like that there aren't going to be some growing pains, but I think when you combine the recruiting factor of just having Doug Marone in the name uh, as your offensive line coach, when you look at the fact that I think that he can develop offensive linemen, he's a good offensive line coach, that certainly helps. He's going to have more talent than he's ever had. I think it's the perfect combination for Alabama's uh, guys up front. Kyle Flood was a great offensive line coach, but I think Alabama and Nick Saban did a very good job of finding an adequate replacement for him, and and they should continue to be just fine at that spot. Moving on to the running back coach spot where Charles Huff, did two years at Alabama and became the head coach at Marshall. <clears throat> He's been replaced by Robert Gillespie, who uh, most recently grabbed everyone's attention from a pretty awesome tenure at North Carolina. Um, <clears throat> his his one-two punch this year, they were the only running backs in the nation, or, or I guess the only school in the nation to have two running backs go for 1,000 yards this year. They were Michael Carter and Javante Williams. Uh, but he also has a, an extensive background in in the SEC and in, in rec- not only just coaching in it, but also in, in somewhat prominent recruiting roles. Uh, he, he's a Florida grad who spent five seasons as Tennessee's running backs coach and, and, and one, was one of the more prominent um, running backs or, or, or sorry, one of the more prominent recruiters on, on that staff at that time. He was also South Carolina's running backs coach from 2006 to 2008, which is notable because that was under Steve Spurrier, whom he played for in, in college. Robert Gillespie played for Steve Spurrier at Florida and then coached under Steve Spurrier at South Carolina. So there is the extent of his SEC coaching experience. But he's also a Mississippi native. He is from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and, and our, our friends in the Magnolia State take care of their own. So, so you would think that with his time recruiting for South Carolina, recruiting for Tennessee, and being a, a native Mississippian, he's going to have more than enough connections in the Southeast to, to reach whoever he's trying to recruit in, in this part of the world. Absolutely. Um, and that's – I love this hire. Um, this is one – I think that Alabama's in a very good job of targeting certain guys that – you know, for one reason or another, I think is going to add a lot of value to the staff, especially based off of what you're giving up. But Robert Gillespie is certainly one of those guys just for he's, he's done it and he's done it recently in the SEC and he's had some successful guys. You talk about Alvin Kamara, you talk about uh, Jalen Hurd. Uh, there's there's I mean, John Kelly was another one that I feel like was a very underrated SEC running back. Um, and then you look at what he did. They're at North Carolina most recently, um, just having uh, essentially you had three different guys, uh, you know, let's so, yeah, let's let's look at it. So you had Michael Carter and Javante Williams, but then you also had Antonio Williams, who I thought was a very good number three back in 2018 and 2019 uh, depth at that spot, development at that spot. Um that's exactly what you're looking for. And it's like, I'll continue to reiterate with every coach that we talk about, going to have a lot more access to just very raw, you know, already ready to be a superstar talent um, than he's ever had in his career. And there are plenty of Alabama running backs. 
Brian Robinson Jr. You know, I don't, I still don't know if anything's official on him, but if he comes back, um, you know, you're talking about uh, Jason McClellan. You're talking about Roydell Williams. You're talking about Trey Sanders coming back. You're talking about uh, Keelan Robinson, you know, being back after taking the year off or that that's the expectation. As far as I know, um, Kyle uh, Edwards is still there. You're bringing in Kamar Wheaton, one of the top running backs in the country. It's just it, even if if half those guys are bust and half of them live up to potential, you're you still have one of the deepest running back stables in the entire country, running three or four deep. I mean that's that's incredible. And when you add a guy who can recruit well and a guy who can develop running backs and does a good job, I mean Michael Carter, uh, you know, a uh, multi-dimensional running back can make plays coming out of the backfield, can make plays as a runner. Um, so you know, it, I just I, I feel like that this was a one of my favorite hires of the entire group. I feel like they did a very good job with this one. To to quickly address the the Brian Robinson Jr. thing, nothing is official. With him yet, he hasn't like officially announced that he's taking up the extra year of eligibility or or he's not. But he's still listed on Alabama's roster, so there, there's that. And uh, the expectation is that he'll come back. But again, he he still has a couple weeks to meet a deadline with the NFL or whatever, so he could um, change his mind or, or do something different. But the current understanding is that he's going to return to to Bama or, or at least if if forced to choose right now I think he he would did he, has anyone had a better 2021 than than Robert Gillespie like he he takes over a job where he number one he's going to get a raise because you know he went from North Carolina to Bama his new position he has at his disposal the number one running back in the class of 2018 Trey Sanders two or, or wait, was Trey Sanders 19 or 18? 19. 19. Okay, the number one running back in the class of 2019, Trey Sanders. Two of the top 10 running backs in the 2020 class, Jace McClellan and Roy Dell Williams, plus Kyle Edwards, as you mentioned. Uh, the number a five-star running back in the 2021 class, Kamar Wheaton, and Brian Robinson Jr., who, if his RollTide.com bio will load up for me quick enough, has 1,300 rushing yards to his name and 15 touchdowns. That's his running back room right now. Yeah, that's incredible. And is, is do we know anything on Keelan Robinson? Than Robert Gillespie right now? I, 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 yeah, it would be hard-pressed to find anybody. Is there? Do you know anything about Keelan Robinson? Is the plan to return? Yes, his his current plan is to return. So there's there's another promising um, talent back to the, to the room. Have you seen the picture of him? Uh, who he's hasn't? Got, he's gotten big. He's gotten swollen. I, I didn't know he was changing positions to defensive end. <laughs> I mean, I was I didn't blown know away. That. It's a bold move, but hey, I mean, if you can if you can develop some pass rush skills, it's uh, it's worth it, I guess. But um, yeah, that's uh, Robert Gillespie's living a good life, man. If, if you can be like Robert Gillespie, I, I highly recommend that. The final coaching change on the offensive side of the ball was tight ends coach and special teams coordinator Jeff Banks following uh, Steve Sarkeesian to hold the same position at Texas. He's been replaced by Jay Graham, a former Tennessee Vol who has coached for the Vols twice, both in 2012 and in 2020. He's also got a wealth of SEC experience. He was South Carolina's running backs coach in 2009 and 2010 and Texas A&M's running backs coach in 2018 and 2019 you you would think he also has a little bit of a taste of what the Saban lifestyle will be because he's worked for Jimbo Fisher for for a long time he was Florida State's running backs coach in 2013 which was Jimbo Fisher's national championship team there and then the running backs coach and special teams coach from 2014 to 2017 following Fisher from Florida State to Texas A&M. So he coached under Fisher for seven seasons, spanning Florida State to Texas A&M from 13 to 19 before leaving for his alma mater for for last season. The the concern with him is, as you probably heard, I said the the title running backs coach a lot because that's almost all he has coached exclusively. He has coached tight ends once. In his career, in 2011, 
He was South Carolina's running backs and tight ends coach. So kind of a a weird deal there. I I admittedly don't know a lot about how that worked. Um, But he's been a running backs coach through and through. And now he's going to be Bama's tight ends coach and special teams coordinator, which he does have special teams experience to, to repeat. He was Florida State's special teams coach from 2014 to 2017. So he has some of that in his background. And there's there's a pretty good bit of special teams know-how on the Texas A&M staff. Um, so there's probably some, while he wasn't the actual special teams coordinator, I think Bradley Dale Pivato was, you would think he contributed to that in some regard, considering he was still working for the person who he was the special teams coach for back at Florida State in 14 and 17. You would think his input on that um, aspect of things would, would still be welcomed. He was probably part of a, a brain trust there, even though he didn't hold the title of special teams coordinator. So that's the that's the concern with, with Jay Graham is he has not coached tight ends in the past, um, but he does have special teams experience. So you have that going for you. Yeah. And I mean, just looking at some of his success, um, you know, he was the running backs coach for Devonte Freeman at Florida state, Dalvin cook, and then cam Akers for his first season. Um, it's a pretty talented group of players all, all playing in the NFL uh, right now and have a, having a, quite a bit of success. Devontae Freeman is kind of getting on the other side of his career, but he's been great for the Falcons. Uh, Davin Cook is one of the best running backs in the NFL. And then Cam Akers uh, finally has a, a an offensive line decent enough to, to create some holes for him on the next level. And he did some pretty good things, stayed banged up this past year for the Rams. But uh, that's just as impressive as all that is, um, doesn't really matter because he's not coaching the running backs. But – Having that experience, and we've talked about with Jeff Banks, um, you know, having that dual, you know, coaching tight end special teams is kind of uh, the, you know, the receivers coach is going to be able to help out with helping the the tight ends and their ability to catch footballs. Um, the offensive line coach, Doug Marone, is going to have the ability to take the tight ends, work in unison with the offensive line in practice, and sure. teach them the necessary blocking stuff. So he'll get plenty of help from other guys. Special teams is the one where you look at and you say, okay, how much uh, you know, will that really factor in? I think it's going to be just fine. I think that it, this was a move that was very recruiting heavy. Um, it was very important because you know he was – He's a good recruiter. He coached a lot of good NFL talent, and I think that's gonna. It doesn't matter if it was at a different position necessarily, because it's not like it's all based off of your position. They're not sending the the running backs coach out there to recruit all the top end running backs necessarily. It just depends on kind of the the area or the zone, um, you know, what state that player's in and stuff like that. So you want a guy who's got a great reputation and you know, Jay Graham has a very good reputation for having a lot of success and he's plenty familiar from a recruiting landscape, from a college football landscape uh, perspective of the sec. Um, and so I think he's going to be, you know, just fine in that role. I, that's one that I'll certainly watch just cause he doesn't have all that experience that you look for, but at least he's got enough, uh, whether it be helping out as a special teams coach or, you know, helping out as a tight ends coach, or being the tight ends coach, I guess, for that one season, where you say, okay, he's at least got some experience. He understands what it takes um, and kind of what to look for because he's been trusted with those kind of things before. It's just a matter of doing it on a much bigger level and for the University of Alabama. So, um, yeah, I I think that this was more of a recruiting move than a coaching move uh, personally, but it's not that I think he's a bad coach. I just think that the fit and where he ended up was more so because of, you know, they, they had their running backs coach, great recruiter. Now they need to go get another guy who can go out there and, and continue to, to use the Alabama brand. And I want to continue to re- reiterate that because we brag about, Oh, Alabama's losing this dynamic recruiter and that dynamic recruiter. And it's like, they have the Alabama brand at their back they can go to the state of California to Bryce Young's high school. And, you know, if it was, would, would you know whoever's recruiting him would they have as much success if they had you know no offense to Auburn but the Auburn brand you know that's not as nationally recognized or respected as Alabama um you can't go to all reaches of the United States and and even Canada in some instances if uh if you don't have that Alabama brand and and have the success that you've had so I think that uh Jay Graham's going to do a good job 
Before we get to the defensive um, position coach change that was made, we need to let you know that Wickles Pickles is offering you pickles, relishes, okras, cornichons, which I learned from, from Hunter not that long ago, and much more. It's a family recipe that is 90 years in the making right here in the state of Alabama. Y'all know about Wickles by now. Um, order... Order your pickles on WicklesPickles.com. Find them in the pickle aisle of your local store. But y'all y'all know the deal with Wickles. We've been talking about Wickles for a long time and the product. I want to tell y'all about the Wickles Pickles apparel. If you go to WicklesPickles.com, on the website, there are t-shirts. There are uh, hats. There is a Grateful Dead uh, there's a Grateful Dead-inspired trucker hat with, like, a pickle in the skull as opposed to the Wickles Pickles product deal. There are Wickles Pickles beach towels. There's a Wickles Pickles necktie, which I feel like I need. Um, I need to wear that to a football game next year. Uh, wearing ties to football games is my is my work thing. I need to wear a Wickles Pickles tie to a, a game next year. There's a Wickles Pickles ornament. Um for, for next Christmas. Unfortunately, they are out of the Wickles Pickles face mask right now, but I look forward to them restocking that so I can try to get one for myself since apparently this pandemic will never end and we'll be wearing face masks for the rest of our lives. All of that is available at WicklesPickles.com. Wickles Pickles, let's get wicked. So the, the one coaching change that has not been officially completed in terms of replacement is Alabama's cornerbacks coach. Carl Scott was officially announced not that long ago as a new member of the Vikings staff. So he's not only moving across the entire country, but also moving levels of football from the college game to the NFL. He's being replaced by Jay Valai, who this is the fourth job he has held in the last two months. So, so try and follow this here. He was Texas's cornerbacks coach for the the 2020 season. As we all know, um, Texas had a coaching change, and he was not retained by by Steve Sarkeesian. So his first move was to take the same position at Houston, where Dana Holgerson is through two seasons, I think. So he was going to be – in mid-December, he was Texas's cornerback coach. And then he became Houston's cornerbacks coach. He was going to coach him for the Cougs. He had that job for a couple weeks. And then he took the job with the Eagles. So he was going to do the the H-Town to Philly type deal. And we know how this goes. Like these things get reported when they're not early in the process, but early in terms of all the paperwork and the approvals and, and all that stuff. So he was working for the Eagles before he was officially announced. And then one day after he's officially announced as the Eagles, as on the Eagles staff, the first report comes out that he's going to be taking the cornerbacks coach job at Alabama. So from December 1 to February, we're recording this on the 17th, the man has held four different jobs. So I I don't know. First of all, I hope he hasn't had to go to the doctor for like any reason in this time because his health insurance situation has to be an absolute disaster. Um, I hope he does retirement savings individually and not through an employer because, again, that's a hot mess. I would hate his tax situation when when that comes up, um, whenever those taxes will will come up. I I bet the – the, the legend behind the Alabama Pro Updates Twitter account could could tell us how messy the the tax situation would be there. Shouts to him. And if uh, if you have some time to, to illuminate me on that, DM me. That'd be that'd be great. I don't envy whatever accountant has to handle the tax situation because it's not like one of those infamous situations where he holds the job for one day and then thinks better of it. Like there were billable hours in in each of those positions before landing eventually in theory at, at Alabama. So the, the tax situation there has got to be um, insane. So professional mover Jay Valai will, will also be Alabama's cornerbacks coach. All I'm saying is that, you know, when I have a job for, you know, two weeks or a month and, and I decide to leave to jump ship to a better opportunity, I got to explain myself on the resume. 
you know, when I go in for job interviews, people are like, sure. hold up. Yeah. Um, you know, that why, why did you, why, why were you bouncing around so much? Why didn't you stay at one place? That doesn't really show, um, you know, that, that it's kind of a red flag for us and I got to explain myself, but voila, you know, he gets to, you know, go change as many times as he wants. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably stop talking about this once Kevin still gets his third interim uh, head coaching job in the very near future, <laughs> which you got to think uh, is coming at some point. It's just a matter of let's figure out who's going to get fired throughout this offseason, and he can just, you know, slide right in there. But um, a very interesting, because when I went to go start looking into Coach Fala, because I didn't know much about him at all, uh, I couldn't believe how many times the man has changed jobs, how many times his family has been like, okay, all right, so we're going from, from Austin to Houston. Okay. Now we're going to Philly. Okay. Now we're going to Tuscaloosa. Um, and, and you got to think from his perspective, I don't, I, I don't know if his position at with the Philadelphia Eagles was going to be as a cornerbacks coach. It might've been as, you know, an assistant cornerbacks coach or something. And, but he might've just not wanted to go, you know, down as far as the, the level of talent and going to Houston, still very talented school, great athletes at, at Oliver, um, you know, came out of there, but you know, you, you get a chance with the Philadelphia Eagles and NFL team and then turn around and, and the best college football program in the country wants you to come coach the cornerbacks. Okay. Then I, I kind of get why he was trying to make that move. And we've seen this from, from a couple of coaches, uh, over the years, but I just thought this was super interesting. It's it's something else, man. Uh, for, above all else, I want to shout out um, Courtney Valai, Jayla Valai, and Jackson Valai, the the family that is along for the ride here. Y'all are y'all are saints. Y'all are y'all are going through it, man. I do not envy that at all. Um, uh, most significantly, well, not most significantly, but a significant part of this is that obviously having coached at Texas recently and then taking the Houston job for, for about 30 seconds, he has Texas ties and he's also a Texas native. Um, so you would think that that would serve him well on the recruiting trail, considering two former Alabama assistants with some success recruiting the state of Texas. Steve, well, actually all three of them have had success recruiting in, in Texas, Steve Sarkeesian, Kyle Flood, and Jeff Banks are now on the staff at Texas at the flagship university for, for the state. So you would think having someone who can also recruit the state well would give them a fighting chance in, in what is going to be a pretty significantly difficult um, recruiting ground for them, more difficult than it has been in, in recent history. So that's where Jay Valai is, is benefiting Bama. Completely agree. Okay. Um, and I just I, I don't know enough about him in his past. You know, I was actually just looking at some of the stuff and really kind of starting to dive into him a little bit. And I mean, DeAndre Baker at Georgia, um, you know, looking at some of the other guys, maybe that he's coached or helped coach. Um, you know, Malcolm Parrish was a pretty good cornerback there for a while. Mari Smith was the star there, the, the Alabama transfer. I just don't have a whole lot that I can offer as far as, you know, what he can potentially add. But He's just another piece of the puzzle. Nick Saban saw something that he liked and wanted, goes out and he gets it. So we'll kind of just have to see. Uh, and Nick Saban is going to help out with the defensive backs, and so can Pete Golding because they both have a history of helping coach the defensive backs. And so you've kind of got, you know, uh, you know, it takes a village kind of situation uh, in that with that particular position group, whether it be cornerbacks or safety. So that's good. Um, but overall, I think Alabama's done a pretty good job of going out and and adding talented coaches, experienced coaches, coaches that are going to add different elements, whether it be recruiting, whether it be development um, or some combination of both. I think they've done a very good job of getting the pieces in place that they need. And of course the, the number one question mark is, you know, Bill O'Brien and his ability to kind of make the adjustment to Alabama to coaching under Nick Saban. He's used to that kind of personality because Nick Saban and Bill Belichick are very similar in the way that they coach and the way that they run their, their uh, football teams. And so it's not like it's going to be something new 
for Bill O'Brien. It's just it's been a while since he's done it. He's been the head coach for you know almost a decade, and now he's back to to being under someone else and doing it their way. So just making that adjustment, and if he can do that, then I think Alabama's going to be just fine. I, I it's a matter of do they stay you know the most dynamic offense in the country, or do they kind of regress and just become you know one of the best offenses in the country? I don't see a scenario where they're not. Uh, one of the top uh, producers on that side of the football, just because of the accumulation of talent over the years, uh, you know, over the you know fa- past few years, they're going to have success regardless of who's back there uh, calling plays. Well, stop me if you have something else to add, but otherwise, we'll be hitting y'all up later on the Bama Beat podcast with more off-season content. Before, uh, while Alabama hasn't released its entire. Um, spring practice schedule it did release that the 8a game will be happening on april 17th so you you could probably assume that that spring practice will start roughly five weeks before that unless they they make a significant change to how they typically structure spring practice which is possible with with covid protocols and other things they're trying to to enact so you, you we're roughly three weeks to a month away from the beginning of spring practice I would guess so. We'll we'll figure some things out in between now and then before we we dive into that when the time comes. For Clint Lamb, I am Brett Hudson. Thanks for listening to the Bama Beat podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Homefield Apparel.